Hello, everybody. Thank you all so much for joining the new era for the first installment of our webinar series. This is a brand new initiative, and we are all very grateful for everybody who tuned in for what is bound to be a very enlightening discussion. Um, for those of you who may not be familiar with the new era, we are a progressive London-based news organization that is covering the Middle East and North Africa region, the MENA region, uh, with a focus on democratic transition, human rights, and social and economic justice. My name is Daniel Hijaji. I am a journalist for the New Arab, and I will be this panel's moderator. And over the next hour, we will be discussing the gendered impact of COVID-19. So as we all know, the novel coronavirus pandemic has thrown the whole world off balance, but it has especially exacerbated glaring structure, structural issues in MENA countries, and that includes the countries at war, those with collapsing economies or restrictive social structures, I could go on. And as expected, vulnerable populations are hardest hit. That includes women who have long borne the brunt of inequality in the region. We have seen alarms raised in various environments from domestic households to refugee camps. And we will be delving into all of this and more today with a focus on Lebanon, Syria, and the Palestinian territories. We have a panel of three distinguished experts who joined the New Arab today to help us better understand the matters at hand. We are very grateful for their presence today. So the way this is gonna work is each guest will give us a 10 minute presentation on um, their area of expertise and the issues at hand. Um, and this will be followed by a Q&A. So feel free to submit uh, questions through the Q&A feature right here on Zoom or by commenting on our Facebook Live broadcast. If you have a specific question that is aimed at a particular expert, please spec specify that, it would be very helpful. And um, I guess we can kick this off now. So first up, we have Lina Habib, who is a Senior Policy Fellow at the Assam Fadis Institute for Public Policy and International Affairs at the American University of Beirut in Lebanon. She also serves as chair of the collective, the collective for Research and Training of Development Action and is a strategic MENA advisor for the Global Fund for Women. She is also a member of the editorial board of the Gender and Development Journal published by Oxfam and Routledge. Lina, thank you so much for joining us. You're up. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tanya. Shukran Ktir. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, I will start my, um, I'll focus my comments on Lebanon and uh, before I start with the COVID uh, outbreak, I want to take us a little bit back. So just to make little comments on the background against which COVID has hit us in Lebanon. Then I will be talking specifically about the gendered impact on COVID and then talk about what next, what happens, what, what, what world do we want after uh, COVID. Um, I, so, so in terms of where were we when uh, COVID hit us in Lebanon, of course, most of the Lebanese population was on the streets because the revolution, the wonderful revolution that started on October 17th, uh, and it was, as you all know, a revolution against uh, a corrupt system, a, a revolution against a system that was based on uh, a sectarian model, which we all know very well by now is not an inclusive, an egalitarian, or a fair and just uh, uh, model. Uh, People were revolting against poor governance, uh, against nepotism, against a deeply, deeply parochial system. Um, and what, what, and of course, what was happening also was the uh, long-awaited and long-dreaded total collapse of the economy, of the banking system, of the financial system, uh, and actually, which which hit uh, the middle class and below way more than the ruling than the ruling elite. And I will come back to this. Um, but before I before I jump into into the impact of COVID, uh, there are three things that I want to mention, which have a lot of impact on the way we are dealing right now with the implication of COVID nineteen. One is, unlike prior um, social movements against corruption, against uh, uh, against against the political regime, uh, this particular revolution, the October seventeenth revolution, was clearly led by very strong, very eloquent feminist voices. Women were at the forefront and women were fighting against all these problematic issues that I was, that I was talking about. 
also probably unprecedented was also the voice, the presence uh, of the LGBTQ community, which also articulated its demands as part of the overall uh, demand. Uh, we were no longer in a situation of now is not the time for these things. Now is not the time for women. Now is not the time for the queer community. Now is the revolution and this is the, the revolution. And of course, and I want to shout a shout out to my um, wonderful feminist friend, uh, Rima Majid, who put the first tone for the creation of new trade unions. Because as in other countries in the Arab region, trade unions are... Um, co-opted by the state, incredibly patriarchal, male-dominated, etc. And then, then COVID-19 came with, uh, um, with a, first of all, a change that took everybody overnight, which is when people were actually claiming the streets, when men and women, but particularly women, were actually claiming the public space uh, after being denied that public space by, 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 by the regime. Uh, suddenly they have to go back home. And that in itself is incredibly disempowering, disempowering because uh, the lockdown meant that there was a halt in that beautiful movement on the street that was, that was taking place. But at the same time, um, uh, the state in its infinite wisdom uh, <laughs> took this opportunity, same in, as in other places, uh, to continue doing business as usual, to continue its crackdown on activists, to its crackdown on individual and collective freedom, and of course its business wheels and deals, uh, which, as we speak, continue. So what happened? What happened? Let me let me let me focus. Uh, let me focus on what happened and what is still happening now in the situation of con confinement and lockdown. And I want to preface uh, by saying. There is nothing in what I will be describing now which hasn't been uh, which hasn't been shared by our feminist sisters across the region because as this pandemic is continues to take over, we are continuing in our solidarity and engagement with feminist sisters in the region so first of all, um, all of us were told to go back home and then to shift overnight to what is called teleworking. Uh, which I have to say something as simple and something as neutral sounding as teleworking means completely different things for women and men. Um, I don't want to talk about the technological aspect, but, but, but of course, maybe I should say that this is happening in a situation where the infrastructure is terrible. But teleworking for women means that they have to do their work at home, but also do their care work at home and do the homeschooling at home because uh, by the way, homeschooling doesn't happen on its own. Homeschooling has to be monitored, uh, followed up by some someone. So women who in any case had the brunt of care work in general now have seen their uh, hours of work uh, extending 24-7 in the, in the, uh, uh, in the uh, during confinement. And that is in the best case scenario when women were able to keep their jobs. Um, of course, we have to remember Lebanon, uh, the, the, the female labor participation in Lebanon is very low. Uh, I don't think more than 25% in the formal sector, which means that most women work in the informal sector. In both sectors, women were hit very hard. The, the service sector, which employs women quite a lot, has been the hardest hit in the, in the pandemic, which meant loss, massive losses of jobs for women. We aren't sure whether women will be able uh, 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 will be able to cover or, or whether there will be job in the absence of any post-pandemic social policy uh, which will create jobs. We're, we're, we're almost sure that women will not be able to cover a, a, a economically. Uh, the third thing is um, stay home doesn't necessarily, mean, doesn't necessarily mean stay safe because this is based on the assumption that the house, household is a safe place, safe place to be. And of course, for many women, it's not a safe place to be. For the queer community, for the LGBT community, it's, it may not be a safe place to be. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a beautiful investigative report published by our colleagues in Daraj Media, uh, um, they interviewed a number of uh, uh, people from the queer community who have who now have to live with their toxic and abusive uh, families. And it's not fun staying at home in this situation. So the romanticization of staying at home 
doesn't apply for most of the for most of the uh, population but especially in the case of domestic violence because now let's remember that the abuser is at home 24 7. Uh, our colleagues in a, uh, an amazing women's rights organization in lebanon called kafa uh, and who runs the hotline for uh, uh, women victims of domestic violence, report that the cases of domestic violence received on their hotlines doubled in the March and the month during the month of April, simply because there were six murders under lockdown, six murders in one month. That's a, that's a huge spike. Um, and every time there was a murder of a woman, uh, the numbers of women calling the hotline would increase because women would start fearing for their lives because there's that respite moment, this hour when the guy would go to, go to work or something, it doesn't exist anymore. So now you have a situation of violence all along. So in addition to that, we're of course talking about, because we're talking about uh, uh, um, uh, diversity of, uh, of women. Um, there are some. There are also other women who who are doubly discriminated against by the by the dynamic. I want to talk. Uh, my 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 friend Maria will talk about it more. I just want to mention the the, the situation. We have to imagine the situation of refugee women during this lockdown. Uh, this lockdown in a tent, by the way, not even in a in a house. Uh, I spoke about the LGBT community. Uh, and the fact that the lockdown, the, the, the staying at home is not a safe place for them, but also, also uh, many of them are now uh, homeless in addition to the situation of uh, sex workers. And um, I, will, I will end to, with that in terms of the vulnerable groups, um, the migrant women domestic workers. There have been atrocities in Lebanon vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, migrant women domestic workers. Um, in any case, Lebanon was famous for situation of shady suicides that happen every week uh, by domestic workers, and we all know these are not uh, these are not suicides at all. Well, these have continued and have spiked during um, because also combined with the effect of uh, the financial situation. Um, migrant domestic workers have been thrown to the streets because their employers cannot afford them uh, uh, anymore. So again, communities that have um, no recourse, uh, for whom there have there are there are absolutely no provisions for safety for security. So now what? What if what if the pandemic? Um, what if the pandemic stops tomorrow? Lina, hi, sorry, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but if you could deliver your uh, closing remarks, would be wonderful. Thank you. Sure. Um, so very quickly, uh, first of all, I. You know, the revolution is picking up again, and now it's picking up with more impetus because the, 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 the pandemic has shown us uh, that, has shown us uh, uh, the, the, the inequality of our system in a way that is flagrant and in, in, in a way that, uh, that it's actually dangerous to, to, to the citizens. And this is the time where, with the new impetus of the revolution, we have to start attacking the two main problems of our system in Lebanon. One, the family laws, which are actually religious and discriminatory. And secondly, an outdated, corrupt system that not only does, doesn't deliver, which is actually it is dangerous to the citizen. So I would end by saying a system that did not function before the pandemic is definitely not functioning during the pandemic and has actually proven to be useless. So what is for all of us is actually to start again building that um, that system that we want, that system which is based on social justice and on feminist uh, feminist principles and gender equality. Thank you, Lina. Thank you so much for this. Um, so our our next speaker will also touch upon Lebanon, but in the context of Syrian refugees residing there and Syrians in Syria as well. Maria Labde is a feminist researcher and the executive director of Women Now for Development, the largest women's empowerment organization in Syria. In 2016, Maria received the Feminine Success, in, uh, the Feminine Success Award in France and Care International's Deliver Lasting Change Award. Maria also has a PhD in microbiology. Maria, the floor is yours. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Daniel, for the invitation, and um, I'm always very happy to speak after Lina. She gave me so much hope and determination, so 
Thank you, Lina. I'm always grateful to uh, the feminist leadership and solidarity on the region. So speaking about Syria, it's, uh, it's a little bit complicated as um, I think we are facing again and again, and especially now after the regime getting more power and uh, more, um, getting back out of the country, we are facing the new whole black closed state when you don't have information. So until now, we, according to official numbers, we have 47 numbers of um, uh, uh, confirmed case of uh, uh, COVID-19 uh, affected people. Uh, I think most, um, uh, more than the half uh, has been announced as uh, being healthy again and uh, only three deaths. So this is about yeah, I mean, the, the pandemic. So you can imagine about all its impact, how it's very difficult for us to get, um, to get information. So then again, then arrive the second question, which region are we talking about? Are we talking about the regime hold area? That when the regime is dealing with this case as a security case, when the media propaganda is using a security terminology to deal with it, if you know someone's sick reported, so people are getting afraid of showing any symptoms. Uh, are we speaking about Idlib, um, the nor uh, northwest of Syria, when we are questioning women about their leave during the pandemic? Um, they have just been displaced one month ago, one million person have been displaced. So for them, the pandemic is the last of their worries. Uh, and uh, when this morning Amnesty International have been publishing a report accusing the Syrian regime and uh, aggression of war crime and targeting specific uh, targeting of hospitals and schools. So when you have this, uh, the whole health, uh, health system uh, is completely down and we know that women is paying a high price of this before the pandemic, we have seen the rate of maternity the maternal mortality. So now we are expecting more and more difficulties and health challenge uh, for women. Uh, are we speaking about the Northeast and self-determination area who has been lost between the WHO and the uh, centralizations of, uh, uh, of the test? When we have uh, one case has been confirmed after two weeks of sending the test, so all of this makes the situation very complicated, but if we want to say, I think for Syria in general, the main problem is the economic and financial one. And when it's become to women, it's getting, we need to remember that, or to know, I don't know, how, but that more than a half per, uh, million person has been killed in Syria, uh, around 80% of them are men. So women are the majority of the country, women are the majority of the market, today forces and most of them don't have any experience. So they are part of an informal market. And today, because of the lockdown, because of everything, they don't have access to this very small job that they were making, their, uh, their, uh, they were living from. So, uh, so you have, in terms of violence against women, it is like everywhere on the world, especially on the region, Lina has mentioned that. But you have the main issue of the law when you don't have any law to protect you when a woman has been experiencing violence. And today we have some uh, articles and colleagues who are reporting uh, women facing more uh, violence, domestic violence. But the issue when they, uh, when any uh, lawyer is coming to trying to support them, the woman will refuse to go because they need to go to the court. There is no specific law that is. Uh, that support them against domestic violence. There is no shelter, so there is not. There is, you don't have a system, and that here, here, uh, here we are speaking about the regime hold area. We are not going with informal area when there is nothing. You don't have any law to apply and uh, to, to protect the women. Then when you go to refugee women in, Le uh, in Lebanon, when we uh, are working, also you will see that a lot of them are lacking protection for sure and um, and don't, don't have any privacy so we have been providing online services and most of the women refuse to continue the discussion when they know that they cannot come to the center because they don't have any privacy and they are afraid to report anything or even to receive psychosocial support online 
so the financial situations has been ter terrifying for them. And, um, and one thing that refugees are also suffering from them is uh, the stigma that we have been seeing some media uh, doing comparison between the refugee sometimes and uh, the coronavirus. So it's, uh, it's an additional burden uh, on the refugee and the refugee women specifically. Uh, and um, here I just want to answer two points, I still have uh, time. No, okay, <laughs> yeah. So what I want also to, to, mention, to mention is when we are speaking about uh, Syrian women in, Iran, in Syria, in, in neighboring country, but even in Europe, uh, I have some colleagues who are single mother and refugee. Uh, just one of them yesterday, her daughter showed some symptoms and she went to the hospital and was obliged to left one boy alone at home who is eight, uh, eight years because they don't know anybody on the city. So again, single mother refugee are facing another kind of type of challenge uh, of challenges and we have a lot of story around this. But what is also very important to me when we are talking about gender uh, issue is not only that a gender impact. I also uh, love very much to speak about gender perspective. When you are when you are asking a woman in any area of the area I mentioned, she will speak about the, the voiceless person. She will speak about the situation of the children. She will speak about the situation of the LGBTQ person. She will around her. She will speak about the situation of elderly uh, or people people in need. And this is very important to have the woman voices. Is not only about the woman, but it's also about the woman perspective who will explain about the situation of education, which is a major worry for them uh, everywhere. Maria, thank you so much for your input. Um, last but not least, we have Suhair Asad, who is an organizer for Talat, a Palestinian political feminist movement, which was launched in 2019 under the slogan there is no free homeland without free women. Talad seeks to build defragmented feminist solidarity and activism across Palestine and its diaspora community. Assad is also a human rights advocate and has a master's degree in law with honors from the University of Notre Dame in the US with a focus on international human rights law. Hi, Suhair. Hi. Uh, thank you all. Thank you, Dania, Lina, and Maria for the great uh, insights. Um, I think this is also what I planned, but uh, especially that uh, Lina and Maria spoke so eloquently about uh, gender violence that women are experiencing in this period. I'll try to bring an, the way we understand and in which context we understand gender violence that is faced by uh, women uh, in Palestine. So um, I think uh, what we will should try to bring here is a feminist perspective on what COVID-19, the way COVID-19 has impacted people in Palestine, but also in the world. Uh, we're speaking about um, a health crisis uh, all over the world. And um, this health crisis was able to reveal deep structures globally, deep structures of injustice, uh, of lack of equality, and, um, and, 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 and years of structural violence that people face all over the world. Uh, and when we speak about the health uh, a crisis, we're speaking about health system that failed short from a being able to provide not only medical aid to people uh, now who are facing the crisis, but also um, a health system that for years have ignored certain population which created a, a precondition even before the pandemic in which communities are suffering from a, a, a condition of a lack of access to public health. Uh, in, in this case, uh, questions of race, of class, uh, of gender, of course, um, have huge impact on the question of health and, and, and other questions. Uh, so when we face this pandemic, before even speaking about Palestine, we should ask ourselves globally, who is dying more? who is suffering health-wise more, who is unable to, to get uh, medical uh, treatment in the world. And of course, these are racialized, these are class questions, and these are gender questions. And these are questions that are not 
isolated from economic questions globally, uh, economic question of capitalist systems um, that not only in Palestine, but in, the, in all the world has impacted different communities. And uh, now the reaction to the uh, pandemic, both uh, the reaction of government of, like for prevention uh, and both for saving the economy has impacted uh, many communities, including women all over the world. And when we speak about uh, prevention measures, and they were mentioned here a lot, and I'm not going to go deeply into that, we're speaking about the quarantine, for example. Quarantine, which everyone's trying to uh, portray as a, a great era for all of us in which we are enjoying our home. This quarantine, even before we speak about women, Many people don't even have houses. We sp um, Maria spoke about refugee women, uh, women in Palestine and, and communities in Palestine who are under the threat of forced displacement. Um, and of course, women who are isolated, who are in quarantine with their abusers. Uh, in Palestine, we, uh, feminist organizations are reporting about a um, uh, rise in 20 to 30 percent in the calls that they were receiving. Uh, the women ministry in the West Bank has reported about about a, a, a double um, of incidents and reports about uh, domestic violence. And of course, we know that these statistics uh, related to domestic violence are always, uh, we're, we're seeing underreporting always, and I, I'm happy to elaborate on that later. Um, and of course, other issues of prevention, where you're asking people to wash their hands, you have to ask if people at all have access uh, to, 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 uh, to water. Um, and now, the lockdown has uh, economically, and when we speak about violence against women, we're not speaking only about domestic violence. We're speaking about political violence in the context of Palestine, in the context of colonization. We're speaking also about economic violence in Palestine and in globally. And in that um, uh, period, we saw uh, two patterns. One pattern is uh, of a clear uh, reaction by government that is benefiting a major uh, uh, institu capitalist institution, uh, uh, speaking about companies, banks, and others, and what workers have been experiencing. And, and, and in workers, we saw two patterns. One pattern of uh, getting rid of workers because of the lockdown. And here, of course, Again, many communities, including women, are more vulnerable uh, to this uh, uh, to this uh, measures. Since uh, you, we, we we know how women, uh, in general, as Alina said, uh, are in, in general informal workers in high percentages. Many of the women work uh, partial jobs, so therefore they're the easiest group to get rid of uh, when this uh, uh, pandemic. Um, uh, started. And of course, those who were uh, identified as essential workers continued to suffer from the previous exploitation um, to, uh, to uh, this pandemic. And now even with more, with risking their lives while trying to do this essential work, which was not defined merely uh, on actual needs of the, of the population, but sometimes many economic aspects and other aspects entered into the definition of what is uh, uh, essential work and why people are risking uh, their lives to do it. Now, in this situation where women are locked down in their houses, um, in this situation where, as Lena said, women has not only the burden of uh, providing for their families, uh, if, and in case of, of loss, losing jobs, trying and, and struggling to provide their families, but also taking care of all the unpaid domestic work that they have uh, to do. Um, in Palestine, through uh, the pandemic, since the beginning of 2020, we've witnessed uh, the femicide of 11 women. And when I say Palestine, I mean uh, Palestinian occupied territories of 67, Palest uh, Palestinian occupied territories of 48, and Palestinian uh, refugee women. Uh, five of these women were killed in a period of about a month uh, of the lockdown, which is a horrifying uh, statistic uh, to think about. Now, the other pattern that we saw globally, globally, which has a specific effect of Palestinian, is securitization and militarization, pushing uh, militarization as the first solution to fight uh, the pandemic by different governments. Now, this is, of course, an easy solution since it's a very empowered uh, uh, system uh, all over the world. A lot of investments of governments go to that. Um, but also it's a solution that will put facts on the ground of deepening 
oppression that will continue eventually after the pandemic. Now, in Palestine, securitization means something else. We've been under emergency, we've been under militarization since before even uh, 48. And therefore, what's happening now, the reaction and the response to the pandemic, which was first uh, to put a total lockdown on the West Bank by Israel, to announce uh, emergency regulations and emergency, a state of emergency in the West Bank, and of course the continuous uh, blockade on Gaza has enormous impacts on Palestinians in the level of uh, political violence. And many of the tools that were used during emergency in the world were tested on Palestinians. Um, many tools of surveillance, many tools, uh, tools of uh, military tools of oppression were tested uh, on Palestinians and later sold to, uh, to these governments. In this pattern also, we saw a lot of limitation on, um, uh, on Palestinian prisoners who were totally shut down from any communication with the outside world. And this, of course, includes uh, Palestinian uh, female prisoners who are much more vulnerable uh, to this uh, uh, lockdown. Now, again, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that when we first started in Tal'at, this is how we wanted to bring the question of domestic violence. This is not only a question of simply, um, not simply, but the grave question of women living with their abusers and facing domestic violence. This is a question of uh, um, um, the position that different women all over the world and the unique position that Palestinian women have of living under different types of violence, economic violence, uh, political violence, and not only physical violence. And when we uh, expand the understanding of violence, we also kind of see feminism in a broader sense, in a political uh, sense, and we politicize the questions that we, uh, we're facing. Um, so um, in the way we try to think about it and the way we approached it during uh, the corona pandemic is that, again, we're trying even in this pandemic to bring the questions of the most marginalized. We're not only broadening feminism, but we are redefining what politics mean in, the, uh, 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 in Palestine and especially in the period of corona where nobody wants to speak about politics. Everyone is... And, and a lot, and the dominant discourse is the discourse of health that is out of the uh, political context. Um, and in that notion, we try to think about redefining polit uh, politics and redefining liberation in Palestine to, to, to speak about a liberation framework that is always linking liberation to the question of people, that these questions that now we see them intensify in the uh, era of corona. Now, just to, to end up, I know my, I'm, I'm very short on time, um, I think to, to end up with a hopeful, a little bit of a hopeful uh, uh, spirit. Um, we live in a fragmented uh, society as Palestinians fragmented geographies and fragmented political realities. And we lost uh, this understanding of the Palestinian liberation question as a unifying question for Palestinians and, and as a sensitive uh, question to people suffering, including women, including LGBTQ community, including the poorest among us. Um, and I think Corona is a period and, and the COVID-19 is a period to be more sensitive and to understand what people are experiencing and link it back to the structural questions of colonial violence and other type of violence that we Palestinians face as a result of the many structures that we live under and the different authorities, including in the under the uh, uh, oppressive Arab regimes in the region, including under the Israeli colonization and uh, under uh, the PA in the West Bank and other uh, systems. And from that, to try to imagine for us as Palestinians, what do we see politics and liberation are about, especially now during the COVID-19, and to mobilize around that. And of course, Again, Palestine is not the exception. Palestine is a place where these questions intensifies, um, but they are questions that we share in, around the world and, of course, around the region. Questions of a colonial domination, questions of capitalist system, and uh, questions of oppressive regime. Um, that's it for me, um, and I'll be happy to receive any questions later. Great, Saher, thank you so much. So I guess we can now open the floor up uh, for a few questions, and we've received quite a few. But I'm going to 
kick this off with a couple of questions of my own. And the first one may be a little bit of a tall order, but I was wondering what, what could governments in your focus countries be doing better to address gender issues uh, during the pandemic? And I guess, you know, we'll start with you since the governance in uh, Lebanon is a little bit more uniform uh, than the rest. Sorry about that, guys. I'm having a little... Okay. Hi, Lena. <laughs> uh, sorry, what, 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 how did you describe our government? You said something. So uh, it's like a little... Its type of governance is a little more, more uniform than, say, the Palestinian territories in Syria. Okay, okay of course. correct me if I'm wrong. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Okay. Um, well, regardless of this, uh, and to be very, uh, 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 very honest uh, and also very brutal, uh, there's nothing that this government can do. This government has to go. Uh, this, that, not, it's not just, it's not the people, it's the type of uh, governance. It's the uh, corrupt system. It's the sectarian system. Uh, I think it's very difficult when you have a system that has been tested, tried and failed since uh, post-independence, um, I don't think we can expect them to do anything uh, of any use now. So I think it's, it's, it's much better if we all cut our losses uh, and then start thinking about a new social contract. Now, what does this mean? I think uh, I, I, I totally agree with, uh, uh, with Suhair on ending on a, on a, on a positive note. Uh, and I do think that there are amazing opportunities in this uh, in this pandemic despite the suffering uh, but I think um, th th there are there are a few points and please tell me uh, give me a shout if uh, if I take too long one I think if we needed any more indication uh, that the system that is governing us is hopeful uh, now we know that it doesn't work it simply doesn't work it's a broken system it's too um, uh, it's too corrupt to work, um, it's too biased to work, it's too inefficient to work. Uh, that, I think, I do think that as, as, as people of Lebanon, as, as women, men, non-binaries of Lebanon, we deserve much better. We deserve a government that, uh, uh, we, we deserve a serious rule of law, we deserve a system that is accountable, we deserve social institutions that work. So just to tell you that it can't do. Now, how can we do this? How can we do this? Um, first of all, I think uh, it's pretty obvious that uh, there is for the first time in this country, across regional, cross communities, cross sectarians, cross gender identities, uh, getting together and agreement over what we want, over at least the basic of what we want over what kind of system we want to be ruled with, over what, what do we want as, as, as citizens. It, it, and, and, you know, this, it's, not, it's not rocket science. It's, you know, we all know what, what is a system of good governance. The second thing that, that we know, which is a good opportunity, uh, I think, is everything that we wanted to ignore about the hard, the hard facts of gender equality, about inclusivity, about diversity, um, it's pretty obvious to us that without all this, the system simply doesn't work. That the system cannot work when it's built on reproducing all kinds of uh, inequalities. So, uh, so for instance, I don't think um, uh, I don't think it's going to be possible again, or it's going to be needed again, to argue on the basis of uh, uh, unequal relations of power, or uh, uh, or or violence or uh, the rights uh, uh, of the LGBTQ community, or any, any of these things for which we've been fighting, at least some of us, for the, past, uh, for the past decades. It's very clear that we cannot have a new social contract that excludes a significant proportion of, uh, of people. And thirdly, I think what is, what is really uh, uh, an opportunity is that what, what is keeping us going now uh, one of the things that are keeping us going is actually these continuous interaction, interactions and feminist solidarity. 
which are again beyond any kind of uh, any kind of boundaries. So, despite, for instance, the abject racism that is in Lebanon, despite uh, despite the disgusting treatment of refugees and of migrant workers, uh, despite the violence against the queer community. Um, we do, um, I, I don't know how to, how to describe it without, I don't want to romanticize it, but I want to say despite all of this, people on the streets are together fighting, fighting racism, fighting, fighting discrimination, fighting exclusion. And I think that momentum is, uh, is still here. And I think it would be a major, it would be a major mistake if we, if we, if we, um, uh, if we think that this is not a moment, a big moment, a big window, a big window of opportunity. But the short answer to your question, what can this government do? Nothing. The best thing it can do is go home. And let us, let us actually build this country the way, the way we see it, the way we see it in terms of a di beautiful, diverse community, accountable social institutions, accountable systems of governance, basically, everything that feminist wants. Thank you so much, Lina. Um, and now, so Maria, I was wondering, given that, you know, I don't, maybe my question doesn't really apply uh, to Syria. So I was wondering whether, given that Syria is torn by war, if there are, there's more hope for like an informal response to women's issue in the COVID-19 crisis? Like what could they, what should, these informal actors be doing or any other actors that you may have identified to be helping actually, the situation? Actually, it's very difficult for informal actors to, to respond because like, and you have states like very advanced states who are not able to, to, to respond. So, but yes, very, you have very much this informal network of solidarity, uh, that are very very effective, but um, I will uh, I want to comment on, on your questions. Even though yeah, maybe it doesn't apply. But um, in addition to all what Lina has said, there is something very important with this pandemic. It's uh, transregional, transethnic, trans uh, anything. So people again are thinking about their priority in life. So now when you are discussing the situation in Syria, it is not about being against this fraction, being against that regime or being, you have something that we need a new social contract where the human being is the center. We need the dignity of the citizens, of the people. We need the freedom of information. We, uh, all this where the, the, the start of the revolution in 2011 that today we are facing this horrible war that you have so much elements and uh, player on it. But for Syrian, I think it's a time for us to get back to what is really important. It is not the military who have won and who are, and it's the human being. And as Lina said, it is all what as feminists we have been asking for. Thank you so much, Maria. So, Saher, I know this question has sort of gone like wide, like kind of widened the scope of the question a little bit. Um, but especially given the fact that, you know, the West Bank and Gaza are both governed by kind of well, different governments. Um, so what do you think um, Palestinian governance or maybe more informal, uh, informal actors could be doing better to uh, sort of address these gender, uh, these gender issues in the time of the COVID-19 pandemic? Um, so there is an assumption of this question that uh, there is some sort of Palestinian actual governance. And this is not what's happening in reality. Um, there is a project of statehood in Palestine, um, um, and this project has uh, uh, reached to its end. Um, there is no Palestinian state at all in the West Bank. There is, um, uh, there is um, a, some kind of uh, a governance that is deepening the policies and deepening the domination of the colonizer in the West Bank. 
Um, and as such, uh, there is nothing, there is no reform that we can think about it that this government's can, governance can do uh, and that was spent by the PA. Now, the way the, the PA has responded, the Palestinian Authority has responded to this pandemic is also by deepening the existing structures, uh, by further marginalizing those who are marginalized, by further uh, um, uh, adding economic burden on the most weakened uh, among society, by far further benefiting those who um, those who have uh, the control economically, the banks and, and, and the private sector. Um, and this is even in the margins that the PA can, you know, can uh, um, give different response. So again, to go back to the original framework that I was speaking about, this pandemic is not something we can look at it as just this period and how governments are responding. Again, this pandemic is um, uh, um, a scene that basically brought everything we've been speaking about for years into the surface. So if we knew exploitation the way Palestinian workers inside Israel has been experiencing, this ex exploitation has escalated. Uh, if we know uh, how Palestinians are living under militarization and, and continuous lockdown and continuous um, uh, oppression by the Israeli colonizer, this has intensified. And there's absolutely nothing that I can think about that uh, um, the PA can do because the PA um, and the Palestinian Authority uh, has actually no authority in the way things are going. It, the economic uh, situation in the West Bank is completely uh, uh, um, connected to the Israeli economy. There is no such a thing as a Palestinian economy. Uh, nobody controls border, nobody actually controls lockdown. Israel has announced the uh, lockdown. In Gaza, you're speaking about Gaza that has been um, under a blockade for over 10 years, uh, where people are actually suffering the uh, consequences of this blockade. So um, you cannot just come in the period of Corona and say, okay, how can uh, these governments act with the differences between the two choices in Gaza and the West Bank, how they can act uh, under uh, the Corona pandemic. And again, um, I would like to I would like us again to bring Israel into the picture because this is, I, I'll finish by that. This is the main problem that we suffered from under the PA is that Israel has disappeared from the picture and the PA suddenly uh, after years of a, a failed statehood project decided that this is an opportunity to act, uh, to act as a state and to make Israel disappear. While Israel is the main responsible for everything that we Palestinians everywhere, not only in the West Bank and Gaza, have been experiencing under the corona. And therefore, again, I, I, I'm not here to advocate for any reform, reforms. I'm here to find this opportunity that also Lina was speaking about into bringing back a more radical politics into the picture and to think about a deeper and radical mobilization uh, from the Palestinian people, wherever they are, despite the systems and not because of these systems. Thank you so much, Zahed. Um, so we've received quite a few interesting questions from um, our attendees. And one of them asks, um, have you seen any examples of new kinds of formal or informal feminist networks or support or support networks arising as a result of the pandemic? Lena, let's start with you. Okay. Uh, yes, by all means. Uh, okay. Um, I'm going to talk at three levels, actually. Uh, one thing that uh, that I've seen, uh, and it has been truly strong, was the speed at which feminists uh, uh, built uh, immediate solid global solidarity networks um, across countries, across continents, immediately. I think it was the first type of organizing uh, when the pandemic hit. And actually, everything that... Um, Everything that I've described actually was said by global feminist networks on COVID-19, which were basically raising the alarm signal 
as early as that and talking not just about the particular pandemic, but actually to the whole world order, which brought us to this, uh, to this situation. So yes, in a global feminist uh, 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 convening, global feminist solidarity, global feminist organizing. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's alive and kicking and it's actually following the situation on the ground on a day-to-day -day basis and creating new spaces for pushing, for advocacy, for presenting analysis that link the political to, uh, uh, to the current situation. In the MENA region uh, and with, uh, with, uh, with colleagues from different organizations, uh, we've started um, kind of an informal network. Uh, first of all, to see from each other, how are feminist organizations dealing with the crisis? And actually that's how we are able to get all these narratives and all these stories. And then how do we support each other and how do we prepare for after the pandemic? So there has been, there has been quite a lot of connections across countries in the, in the MENA region, and we're hoping that it's going to grow a little bit bigger. For Lebanon, uh, I think, again, I want to go back, circle back to the revolution because the revolution was a starting point for different kind of alternative organizing and cross, uh, um, cross interest groups organizing. So uh, in a sense, there was already quite a lot of connections, quite a lot of collaborations that have continued and are quite active uh, during the pandemic. Uh, the couple of things that I want to uh, point out in Lebanon, because, because you know, uh, contrary to what it seems to be, it's a very patriarchal, uh, it's a very patriarchal country. I want to shout out to our colleagues who are doing amazing work across country uh, on supporting migrant workers. So, uh, colleagues in the anti-racist movements who've been doing an incredible job before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and also I would assume thinking, thinking beyond. I want to shout, a shout out to all, uh, 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 to a growing actually community of LGBTQ organizations who, uh, it's, it's heartwarming, the voices that are out there, uh, the voices that are out there, the, the in, in terms of shaping the struggle, shaping the shaping the narrative, and also being part and parcel of this planning post uh, post pandemic. So yes, this is where I see quite a. This is this is what makes me happy. This is where I, where I see quite a lot of hope. I think the feminist mobilizing at these three levels has been seriously amazing. Thank you so much, Lina. Uh, someone actually asked whether you could give the name of the MENA network of feminist organizations that you mentioned. Uh, it doesn't have a name, but they can contact me and actually uh, and tell me if they would like to be part of us and uh, we'll take it from there. Okay. Um, so feel free to reach out to Lina. Yes. Um, so, so Maria, um, have you seen any... Um, Kind of. I think there are plenty I can go from. Great, um, go for it. Yeah, like uh, from personal examples of, uh, like, uh, especially la last week when I was on a webinar, uh, a colleague from Palestine started supporting me. I continued the discussion with her on a, a personal level. As, uh, yeah, so this is you know, feminist solidarity and women, women solidarity all across uh, the region and internationally. And I think here what, what we have seen very good is how women are very much feeling better than men as leaders. So it is a subject that we are discussing uh, a lot uh, between uh, each other and uh, yeah, give us a lot of hope for the future. Uh, we also have seen like also women in general uh, responding very much more to the call of solidarity like there is the, there have been a call for reading stories for children you can see that most of the women have been uh, responding to the call restriction doing some uh, videos uh, reading stories in addition to all what the women have to do during the pandemic and the lockdown women always find time to support each other and support the other the most vulnerable uh, populations. Um, I, ha I have seen a question that I would like to re respond because I'm, I'm a little bit. Uh, it's it's a about refugee women in Lebanon. Uh, most of them know that they don't. Uh, they most for most of them, the process is illegal. 
so they can report any violence if they have uh, uh, so it is a huge issue if a woman go and report violence uh, she, most of them are very much afraid to be sent back to Syria to not be able to yeah so if uh, if you don't have a legal situation they don't have papers so they will not report it's impossible Okay, Maria, thank you. Uh, so, hey, what about you in terms of, and by the way, just because we are short on time, um, I know there's a question in there for you regarding Palestine, so feel free to answer that um, as part of your answer to that initial question. I didn't see it, <laughs> if you can tell me what Yeah, I'm more than happy to. Um, feel free to, so, okay. What are the instruments put in place by feminists and solidarity networks in absence of a government actually capable to control the territory in order to cope with care work and women's loss of jobs and health? It's a pretty big one, but... I'll try, I'll try. Um, first, for the first question, um, uh, Lena raised a very important uh, issue in the way feminist, feminist groups, and not only feminist groups, groups who um, struggle for justice around the world have been networking uh, during this period, and not only networking as a reaction to the pandemic, but also bringing um, analysis of the deep structures of injustice and how they are playing um, today uh, um, and how we can see them affecting different communities. And I think this is very helpful because uh, it's not um, uh, isolating the questions of COVID-19 in each country or in each community, but it's trying to bring a broader analysis of the system, uh, the world uh, uh, structures and the global structures that are affecting now communities. Um, now, uh, and of course, I've seen some initiatives in that direction in the region as well, which is uh, extremely important and extremely important for us as Palestinians, since Palestine is many times viewed as a, as a unique cause um, that is detached from bigger questions of justice. So um, this kind of work always uh, warms the heart. In Palestine, we saw a lot of work around uh, providing hotlines that are adjusted to this period because many women cannot even call the hotlines uh, when the abuser is next to them and is around them in, in homes. Um, we saw a lot of campaigns of public awareness and we saw some protests, uh, even during the lockdown, from um, um, women who were protesting from their homes. Uh, and one of these protests was actually organized by uh, Talat. Um, but also, I think the last aspect of it, and I link it to the question that was asked, uh, so what do we do in a colonial context that when we don't have uh, actual control on the question of protection of women? And I think it's not only in colonial uh, uh, context, but in all uh, uh, failed uh, uh, types of governance and oppressive regimes. And here, and we've been thinking about it for a while now in Talat and and, and others, and it's an, not a new question, on how to create um, uh, um, an alternative, or not an alternative, but um, a, a way to think about uh, 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 social solidarity and, and protection of women who face violence uh, uh, inside the community, when you actually have no power, and when the uh, um, the structures that rule you and the authorities that rule you, including the Israeli colonization, the PA and other structures, are part of uh, this violence. Now, you're asking me this question in not a very hopeful period in Palestine. It's not, uh, I'm not that, <laughs> yeah, it's not that hopeful, not a lot of mobilization uh, is happening. And we're in a period where all the old projects, all political projects are ending. And therefore, it's a period of a slow um, accumulation of building uh, projects and, and trying even to start with the analysis, with understanding uh, of what's happening and understanding even ac across the fragmentation. So I don't have a great answer for this qu question because actually um, it's not happening in a scale that um, I can say that we figured it out or we found a way to create these social solidarity networks that actually will help women face domestic violence, but also under, answer other questions uh, uh, economically. But we've, of course, seen a lot of initiatives of uh, uh, help people helping each other, but also this 
uh, uh, initiatives were oppressed by Israel and by the PA. Even initiatives of just providing food to people. Israel will take uh, uh, all this uh, um, um, and stop these initiatives or the PA. Anything that doesn't pass through the PA is actually prohibited in the West Bank. So people are trying, but um, not in a very uh, helpful period and with great uh, scale of oppression. Uh, so, Her, could you quickly um, elaborate on the situation of female prisoners? I know you touched upon that. Um, so, um, since the pandemic, um, all prisoners, all Palestinian pr- political prisoners, the first thing that Israel did is not to um, think about any protective uh, health measures or to deal with the overcrowdedness inside the prisons, which of course is not our demand. Our demand is to free all the Palestinian political prisoners. But even in that level, Israel didn't deal with that. The first thing that happened is that Israel issued emergency regulations that actually banned Palestinian prisoners, including female prisoners, from having any touch with their families or with their lawyers uh, in visits, but also uh, using phones. Because Palestinian political prisoners, unlike uh, uh, criminal prisoners in, uh, in Israeli jails are unable to communicate with their families f- through phones. Now, Israel has created the ex- exception of minors who are able to contact their families um, and has allowed some calls for Ramadan for prisoners only. But actually, um, and we saw that it's gradually gave the chance to Palestinian female prisoners to call their families, but many of them, and some of them actually, were banned based on security claims by Israel. So even the most basic human contact with their families, who are extremely worried uh, was um, was banned uh, from Palestinian political prisoners in general, and especially uh, Palestinian female prisoners. And now, all prisoners now live under a huge health risk. We don't know anything about the measures that Israel is taking, um, uh, because actually lawyers cannot get in and give us this information, nor uh, the families can uh, can do that. So, thank you. Uh, Lina, I know there were a few questions that were directed uh, towards you. So I was wondering if you could kind of quickly uh, run by the ones that um, that you've been meaning to answer. Uh, if I can. Hold on. Just one thing. Okay. So uh, there's a question about... Uh, so despite the lockdown in Lebanon, are women and other sectors um, of the population in the October revolution still able to find avenues to progress the struggle? Absolutely, yes. And I think, uh, um, you see, uh, sometimes when you uh, push somebody to the wall more and more, um, there is no other way except to push back and i think this is what uh, this is what the regime has been has been doing with the crackdown on uh, uh, on activists with the with continuing with the uh, business wheels and deals with the continuing corruption so uh, you might have known that people despite the lockdown people are back on the street and um and again i refer to the infinite wisdom of the state uh in wanting to curb this and to oppress this and throw people in prison well, this is not working, and this is a method that has proved not to work anywhere else, uh, anywhere else in, in uh, uh, anywhere else in the world. So, one, the mobilization is very much uh, is very much there. Uh, two, uh, there are more and more reasons for the revolution to uh, to continue, and three, there are more and more alternative and parallel uh, organizing that is that is uh, taking place. Um, I think uh, for most people, we all know very well that eventually uh, the lockdown will uh, will end, uh, even without uh, even without a proper kind of. Um, of course, nobody is uh, no 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 nobody is uh, 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 incredibly optimistic that this will happen tomorrow or in a month. Um, but I think the day that the lockdown will end is the day we're going to see massive people on the street because. This is when we're going to find out, or we've already, find out, found, 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 we've already found out that um, 
the corruption of the of the regime the continuous theft that ha that have taken place the incompetence and the fact that everybody has been, who's been in power has acted like a buffoon have actually uh, uh, have actually resulted in the impoverishment of the country and of the population what covid-19 did is just simply accelerate the process accelerate a death that was already uh, foretold so um, so i guess yes uh, please follow the news uh, or maybe the, the mainstream news are not showing this but uh, it's back on the street simply because people cannot eat anymore the the the, the, the escalation of poverty the the rapid uh, uh, devaluation of the local currency uh, has meant that there's nothing to lose anymore is there another question which is specifically um, um, uh, lena i am so sorry if it's okay like i just need to ask one final question to maria and then we're gonna have to wrap this up because we're short on time oh, i really apologize um so so maria i saw a question that may be better suited for you um beyond the feminist network solidarity who are the allies to this feminist vision of transformation and is the un a relevant space for this discussion and in this moment during the pandemic ah uh, wow uh Quite a difficult question, quite a difficult question. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm mainly a believer on the feminist networks and the solidarities. And we have seen how even feminist funds have been very fast in gathering to, uh, together and putting uh, some funds to support the sisters in other countries. and. Uh, uh, and we have been some state for sure who are who has been also very affected. Uh, concerning the UN bodies, I think we are still again facing the same challenge of the bureaucracy and uh, not being able to adapt uh, very fast or enough. So so yeah, I think uh, there is a lot to be done in terms of. of uh, building the capacity of the UN system to be able to to respond properly and the, yeah we have seen this problem for example as I said on the WHO when uh, yeah so uh, the UN system is, is built on a very centralized way that is very yeah it's very difficult to, to move, uh, move on with it so I think But for sure, all actors are welcome. We need everybody in here. Okay, Maria, thank you so much. Um, we will unfortunately have to end this session because we are very short on time. But I would like to thank our panelists for their invaluable insight and our audience for tuning in and you know the lively participation uh, that has occurred today. I'm sorry we couldn't get to all your questions. So before we conclude the webinar, there should be a window with a poll that uh, would have just popped up on your screens regarding which topic we should cover for the next installment of our webinar series. We would really appreciate it if people could uh, give us their input. And I would also like to draw everybody's attention to a, another new initiative that was launched by the New Arab, which is a Facebook group uh, that is focused on our coverage of women's issues in the MENA region. It is called the New Arab Women's Focus, so be sure to join it if you haven't already. Uh, much thanks again to our experts for joining us today and for all of you who tuned in from home. Have a wonderful week, stay safe, and we'll hopefully see you for our next webinar series. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you to everyone. Thank you.